Our Father, thank you for your grace to us even this day as we look back the ways you provided for us. Life, breath, food, um, maybe things to do, whether we've had work or we've been resting or searching for work or whatever it is you've given us to do, this day has been a gift from you. And um, we're thankful to have this evening together too. Thank you for each other. Thank you for our relationships because of Christ, that he's the one who brings us together. And we pray so much now. We want to hear your voice. We long to learn from you, from your active and living word in our lives. Um, So we pray now that you speak to us, that we would listen and that you would change us. Amen. I feel like I'm not making very much noise, but uh, a little bit. All right. Um, okay, if you'd like to open up your Bible to Luke chapter 5 and page 1033. Thank you, James. And uh, get your booklets. You're going to need those for taking notes. If you're new to the series, welcome to the best year ever. This is a little slice of Luke's gospel where we're seeing Jesus begin his ministry, introduce himself and what he's come to do, which is bring the kingdom of God. We call it the best year ever because he talks about bringing the year of the Lord's favour. This is this year, this age, where finally um, salvation has come. The kingdom of God has come, where we can be forgiven, we can be rescued from all the different dimensions of our brokenness, and we can be part of God's kingdom. It starts now, but it's also not yet. We're going to think about that a bit more later. It's a kingdom that stretches into eternity. So we have a pithy way of remembering what this um, bit of Luke's Gospel is all about. This is week five, so I think some of you should know by now. Charlie did a great job of reciting it a couple of weeks ago. I wonder if anyone else um, can remember our little summary of, of Luke's Gospel. Anyone going to have a go? It starts with Jesus starts. I'll start you off. Who's going to have a go? Come on, come on, come on. I'll give you one of this group's custard donuts if you, uh, if you do it. I'll do it. <laughs> Brilliant, you Excellent work. Jesus starts. Jesus starts the best year ever of all people than ever in the kingdom of God forever. Excellent. <laughs> have one of the donuts that I think you may have bought from <laughs> Okay, let's say it all together. Very good. Jesus starts the best year ever with more people than ever in the kingdom of God forever. So particularly the last couple of weeks, we're seeing how God brings all sorts of people in, more people than ever. People who are on the outside, we saw last week, are brought right into the middle of the kingdom. Today, particularly, this last part of the theme we're going to be thinking of, being in the, in the kingdom of God forever, thinking about the past, thinking about the present, and thinking about the future of the kingdom and what that means for our lives. So that's tonight. Okay, we're not in Luke 5, 1 to 11. That is wrong. We're in Luke 5, verse 33. So let me read. They said to him, John's disciples, uh, they, by the way, is the uh, Pharisees, the teachers of the law, okay? Uh, they said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. In those days they will fast. He told them this parable. No one tears a piece of a new garment to patch it on an old one. Otherwise they'll have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. 
and no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. I want you to think to uh, the magic moment of New Year's Eve. We have weird traditions in our country when it comes to New Year's Eve. I I know some of us are from different countries, so a little insight into what happens in Britain. Uh, This is my experience anyway, Chinese takeaway. Um, Some awkward games of cards things and Monopoly and things where everyone argues. Um, And then midnight approaches, Jules Holland um, on BBC Two. Jules Holland, if you don't know who he is, uh, is a slightly aged jazz pianist. He used to be in a band called Squeeze. And um, he does this thing with loads of other aged musicians, and they all sing. And then, oh, it's like Cindy Lauper was on the other, oh, it's awful. Um, anyway, and then everyone watches it and goes, oh, it's midnight, I'm really tired, but it's, mid- it's coming to midnight, so we should do this. And then, the, then you get the moment where um, it, you know, clock strikes midnight, and everyone stands up, and we sing "Old Lang Syne." Okay. And do you, does anyone else do the thing where you stand in a circle and hold hands? And we we do this, like this, <laughs> and we sing a song which no one knows the words to. <laughs> Literally, he goes, "Old Lang Syne," and he gets to that bit, and everyone sings it. Honestly, we don't know why we do it, but we do it, and then everyone goes to bed. That's basically what happens, okay? So I don't know what you, what you do with your New Year's Eve. But that magic moment where the, the clock strikes and goes from 11.59 to 12 o'clock, and it's magic because the last year literally becomes history. It becomes last year, and all of a sudden, just by the stroke of the clock, it is a new year. And a hopeful new year stretches before you. Well, that may be how you feel. I think when it comes to New Year and New Year's Eve and all that, we probably fall into two different camps. Um, there's the, the New Year hopers who are feeling pretty positive, enthusiastic about the fresh year and the opportunities before them. Um, but then there's the, the last year curmudgeons. The last year curmudgeons. Now, curmudgeons is one of my favorite words in the English language. If you don't know what it means, a curmudgeon is a grumpy person. They're just grumpy. They're like grumpy about whatever, just an old curmudgeon. There are some people in this room who I would call curmudgeons. Um, and, um, yes, says the person where I'm not a curmudgeon. Uh, and the, 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 the New Year's hopers, they look forward and they're excited and they think, yes, a New Year. The old year curmudgeons are the ones who go, that time already well say so, you know it's going to be the same as last year anyway so what's the point and they just go off to bed and grump that's the last year convention but when we when it comes to new year's day we say to each other happy new year we don't say same old same old new year or gonna be lame new year we say happy new year that's what we say to each other because there should be a kind of optimism about it now, we've been thinking about the best year ever, this new age that Jesus, the arrival of Jesus brings, where God's kingdom is coming and salvation is coming. We can have a relationship with God forever in his kingdom. So I want you to think of it like this, that with the arrival of Jesus, the clock has struck to midnight. The waiting, the countdown to the moment when God would bring this best year ever has finished. And the new year is here. The reign and rule of God in Christ has come. It's the new year. 
So how are we supposed to feel about it? Like with the New Year thing, are we supposed to be, do we feel happy? And maybe as Christians, we think, well, actually, I don't feel particularly happy as a Christian about this best year, this new year that started. It doesn't feel like a very happy new year. I look back and I think, nothing's changed. Same as last year, same as maybe before I was a Christian. It just doesn't feel like life's really changed very much. We're sad in life. We're happy in life. What is going on? What are we supposed to experience and feel in this best year ever? This passage is going to help us with that. So here's the first thing we're going to see. The new year is now, so don't be a last year curmudgeon, grumpy person. The new year is now, don't be a last year curmudgeon. We see this in verse 33. So here we have a bunch of people, they say to um, Jesus, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? Okay, so the Pharisees and John's disciples, what are they doing? They are fasting and praying. Okay, and uh, they've got an issue with Jesus' disciples. He's saying, well, yours aren't fasting and praying. They're going on eating and drinking, having a party, having a good time. So the Pharisees and John's disciples are living in this last year. They're living before the clock has turned midnight, before Jesus' arrival. Because they're fasting and praying. Let's think about that, what that means. It was right that God's people, as they waited in the darkness and silence, waiting for the Messiah to come, it was right for them to fast. What is fasting? Fasting is deliberately not eating, choosing not to eat for a day or a week or whatever it is, as an expression of longing for God in devotion and prayer. That's what fasting is. It's saying, God, I want you more than food. I need you more than I need food. So in this old year, by fasting and praying, they were showing their sadness and their longing for God to act and rescue Israel. Because that's what they were waiting for. So they fasted and prayed in their sadness. It was the right thing to do because things were miserable for Israel. They were occupied by the Romans. They didn't have a proper king. The temple they had was a kind of poor man's temple. It wasn't as good as the old one. God hadn't acted or spoken for hundreds of years. So it sucked. And they knew it. And so in their emptiness and sadness, they fasted and they prayed, longing, God, will you do something? And so the Pharisees look at Jesus' disciples and they just look a bit too happy. They're not doing the fasting and praying. They're feasting and stuff. They're acting as if the waiting is over. They're just too happy. Why are the disciples not fasting, do you think? Well, it's because they look at the clock and they can see that the clock has ticked past midnight. The disciples of Jesus can see that the best year ever is here. The wait is over. The spirit-anointed prophet king is here. So they're saying, Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Jesus is here. The the year of God's favour has arrived. Jesus explains this in verse 34, and he uses the image of a bridegroom and his mates waiting for him. Verse 34, so Jesus answered their, why are you so happy question. He said, well, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? Can you make the friends of the bridegroom 
long and mourn and be sad and not eat when the bridegroom is actually with them. So you're meant to imagine um, a a bunch of groomsmen, friends of a a guy, a, a bridegroom who's about to get married. He's not there and they're in a room and they're waiting. They're in their suits, the tails, the whole thing. And they've got some pizzas, some lovely, cheesy smelling, happy pizzas. And they're, you know, the, the wedding's coming, and they're, but they're waiting for the bridegroom to arrive before they can tuck into their dominoes. And there they are, they're waiting, they're waiting, there's a knock at the door, and in walks Baza, whatever his name is. In walks the bridegroom. And, um, uh, and what do they do? Oh, Baza's here. I guess we'll sit around and stare at the pizzas for a bit longer. They smell so good. Maybe we could eat the pizzas. No, Bazaar's here. The bridegroom's here. Great. Finally, let's open up the dominoes and let's eat the pizzas. We're ready for the wedding. We're going to have to tuck in before the wedding happens. And that's what Jesus is saying. No, the bridegroom, Jesus, is here. Don't make them fast and not eat the pizza as if he's not. God has acted. The moment they've all been waiting for in their sadness has arrived. Don't act as if it hasn't arrived. But some people are last year curmudgeons. They still want the old. But Jesus shows, no, old doesn't fit now that new is here. And Jesus tells uh, a couple of parables, uses some images, some contemporary illustrations for them, so they understand to show that the old and the new don't go together. Have a look at the two pictures. Verse 36, Jesus wants to explain. So he he told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. So you've got a new garment and an old one. He's saying you don't rip off a bit of a new garment to sew it onto a hole in an old garment. I discovered yesterday I've got some holes, uh, a hole in a pair of trousers of mine, not the ones I'm wearing right now, it's all right. And um, I really I really love these trousers, and I want to I want to rescue, I want to salvage them, because that's what you should do with clothes instead of buying new ones. Yeah, but for the purpose of this illustration, I go to a shop and I do buy some new trousers. And what I do is I cut up the new trousers, take a bunch of that material and patch it onto my old. And Jesus is saying, no, you don't do that. Why would you cut up a bit of new material and stick it on your old? That's pointless. The new doesn't go with the old. Just have the new trousers. Don't bother with the old trousers. Sorry, Mary. Okay? <laughs> so that's his, that's his first image. Old and new don't go together. Why would you have the old when you've got the new? Verse 37, he changes angle and starts talking about wine. No one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No new wineskins must be poured, um, poured in. Sorry, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. Same idea. New wine, if you stick it in old wineskins, probably something to do with fermenting and expanding, is going to wreck these old wineskins. What you do is you put old wine in old wineskins, you put new wine in new wineskins. You don't put new into old; it ruins it. Point is simple. New and old don't mix. That's what Jesus is trying to say. They don't go together. It gets, everything gets ruined if you try and put the new and old together. And remember what Jesus is trying to teach them. Old year sadness, waiting for God to send a saviour, doesn't fit new year joy. Now the Messiah is here. But Jesus says in verse 39, there's always some old year curmudgeons. 
And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say, the old is better. I think he's, uh, he's indicting them, he's saying. There's always people who say, I want the old one, the old is better. Jesus is saying, there's always people who say that. And that's what the Pharisees are doing. They're old year, last year curmudgeons. Give them the new, Jesus is here, they go, we want the old. What does this mean for us? It means that we shouldn't live as if Jesus hasn't come. We are not Old Testament believers living with the shadows when the reality has come. So some obvious application, we don't go sacrificing bulls. Jesus has come to be our sacrifice. We don't meet with God in a temple. The spirit is here. The church is the temple. This is how we meet with God. And you think, okay, no sacrificing bulls. I can obey this passage. Okay, let's get a bit more close to home. Here's where I think we act like last year curmudgeons. We can live like sad, fasting Pharisees, still waiting for God to act, as if Jesus hasn't come and rescued us. Because sometimes the reality of the kingdom of God can feel so far and distant, it feels imaginary. The kingdom of God is this thing. It's kind of an imaginary thing. Jesus is like an imaginary friend who we've actually come to realize over time, maybe he's not actually real. He's this idea that we talk about, but not real. My daughter Rosie has an imaginary friend. Sometimes she has several. Uh, one day she announced, Armelina is here. And we're like, who is Armelina? Um, she's there. Armelina's here. Okay. What does Armelina look like? She's got purple hair. <laughs> Guess what her favourite colour is? Purple. So Armelina, um, I think, came to Vietnam with us. She came on holiday with us. She just does that. That's Armelina. She's. But one day, I hope, Rosie will discover that Armelina is not real. <laughs> that Armelina is not actually there. And we become Christians and we love Jesus and we trust him and we put our hope in him. But then as time goes on and as life is hard, we begin to think he feels a bit like an imaginary friend who isn't actually real or doing anything in my life. Do you wonder how things are going to pan out for you as a Christian? Is this actually going to end well for me? Is Jesus able to really forgive my sin and actually work in my life and in this broken world? But to live in that way, kind of like he's imaginary, God, are you going to act when he has acted? It's like living as a last year curmudgeon. Nothing's going to change. The gospel won't change me. People aren't going to become Christians. We're acting as if Jesus has never come. No, Jesus says. The clock has ticked past midnight. The best year of has begun. Jesus is here. Enjoy the pizza. Enjoy the feasting of a relationship with God that begins now. He's not an imaginary friend. He's real. Jesus has arrived. It's a fact of history, and it does make a difference. Don't be a last-year curmudgeon. Second thing we're going to see, though, and this is an important dynamic that goes with the first bit. The new year is now, but also, and we've seen this already this series, this is so important, the new year is not yet. We count down the days. Because it's not all happy feasting for us as Christians. You know, we've been reading about Jesus in Luke's gospel, and he's amazing. 
but he can feel, like I said, like an imaginary friend to us. Imagine how that's been for the disciples. And Jesus points to this in verse 35. He says, verse 35, but, the, you know, feasting now, but the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days they will fast. Interesting tension. Think about the disciples. They've been with Jesus 24-7. They're going to see him die. They're going to see him rise. They, we've, we saw them a couple of weeks ago leave their jobs for him. And yet one day he's going to be gone. Death, resurrection, ascension. Jesus left them at the beginning of Acts, which Luke also wrote. And so there's a sense in which their feasting will be tinged with fasting from then on. As they await Jesus' return. There will be times where they fast and pray in longing to fully enjoy the best year ever that they began to enjoy when Jesus came. Can you see? Jesus is going to go, and they're going to be sad. <coughs> I wonder if you've ever spent some time with someone, maybe a close friend or a relative who lives in another part of the world, or just far away, and you, you have the best and the sweetest time with them, and you remember it forever, and the time comes when to go, you take them to the airport, something like that, and you stand at security, and you wave goodbye, and you cry. And what do you do? You start counting down the days until you get to see them again, don't you? You start counting down the days. And so Christians live counting down the days till we see Jesus again. That's why Jesus says, we will fast. We will long for him to come back. There are times when we will choose not to eat food out of such an intense longing for Jesus and his presence. Hang on, but Jesus said to the Pharisees, your fasting is an Old Testament kind of fasting. So what's the difference? That this is, this is different to Old Testament fasting, old year fasting, because that was a fasting where they were still waiting for God to actually act and save them. For us, the best year ever, Jesus starts the best year ever. Okay, the best year ever has started for us. We are part of the kingdom. It is now, but it's also not yet. We hunger now for the feasting, which we've tasted a bit in our relationship with Jesus. We hunger for the feasting to come. Okay, here's, here's a quote for you from uh, John Piper, who's written a book on fasting called Hunger for God, which I highly recommend. This is how he, def- he describes Christian fasting, which is different to the old year fasting. The aching and yearning and longing for Christ and his power that drive us to fasting are not the expression of emptiness. Need, yes. Pain, yes. Hunger for God, yes. But not emptiness. The first fruits of what we long for have already come. Jesus is already here. The fullness of what we are longing for and fasting for has appeared in history and we have beheld his glory, Jesus. It is not merely future. We do not fast out of emptiness. So it's different to the Pharisee fasting. We've tasted. It's not out of emptiness, but it's for longing for more. So we count down the days until until we see Jesus again. So the new year brings a new kind of fasting, a longing to enjoy the kingdom of God forever. And maybe that image of counting down the days really resonates with you. These for you are days of longing and fasting to be with Jesus who you've come to know and enjoy 
And Jesus says to us as Christians, we should expect to experience that longing. That sense we're not at home yet, like we're learning in Genesis. It's right for us to fast and count down the days. Now, as you're thinking then about the Christian life, maybe you're hearing you're not a Christian, you're saying, okay, what is it for Christians? Are you happy or are you sad? Like, which is it? Are you enjoying your relationship with Jesus or are you not enjoying it yet? What's going on? Paul captures this perfectly. He talks about this. He says being sorrowful yet rejoicing. Sorrowful in life because life's hard, yet rejoicing because we do know Jesus. It's fasting and it's feasting. It's being far away from Jesus, but also having a relationship with him. It's the kingdom now, but it's also the kingdom not yet. Which makes sense of our life together as a church. On a Sunday during a service, you might look around and you might uh, look around and think, everyone just looks so happy. You know, they're singing and everyone's like into it and worshipping God and so happy. And then you look around and you think, actually no, there's a lot of people who are really sad. There are people crying. There are people clearly struggling in life. Which is it? I want to say, you know what that's about, right? As the church and Christian experience goes, that's about right. Some of us will be enjoying the pizza, enjoying the relationship we have with Jesus. And some of us are really feeling, yeah, but he's gone and we're waiting for him to come back. And uh, I feel the tears and the pain of that. Okay, so how can we help each other as Christians then through that tension of the now and the not yet? Sometimes the help we need when we're, when we're really feeling the, the longing and the not yet, we need to be reminded to enjoy Jesus now. Sometimes we need a friend to come alongside us and remind us that Jesus said in Luke 4, this is fulfilled in your hearing. The kingdom has arrived and we are part of it, even though you might not feel it. So maybe we need to remind each other of that. You know, when when we see someone just losing sight of what we have in Jesus, feeling like, is God even doing anything? Say, yes, he is. Jesus has come. The best year ever has started. So encourage each other with that. But some of us are on the other end. We're so focused on now. We're just in cruise control and Christian life. Cruise control doesn't really work here because our roads just aren't straight and empty. But you know the idea where you just set the car and it just kind of goes. And that's what we're like. We stopped hungering after God, hungering to know him more. We're not counting down the days. We're We're just quite content with how things are. Sometimes we need reminding of the not yet. You need reminding, don't settle down yet. There's more to come. Okay, how can we help each other then? Well, let's learn the lesson of what they're talking about. Um, We should fast. We should fast as Christians. It is a good thing to do. Perhaps when you are really feeling that hunger for Jesus, fasting, choosing not to eat for a day or whatever it is, and dedicating that time to prayer could be a really powerful way of expressing Jesus I'm just so longing for you some of us are longing to be free from a particular sin that we're battling and battling and battling and we need as many weapons as we can to fight that sin use fasting as another one having a day without food not because it's magic but it's because it's a way of expressing to God I really want to be free from this I really long for change God I hunger after you But also fasting is a really helpful thing if you're not hungering after Jesus. 
Anyone here feel lukewarm? You don't have to be hand up. Feel lukewarm about Jesus? You know, you like Jesus, but I wouldn't say right now I'm hungry for him, longing to be with him. Probably most of us. Fasting and praying is a really good way to actually get yourself counting down the days, to go, Jesus, I need you more than food. I do. I want you more than food. I'm going to dedicate this time when I be eating to reading your word and praying. God, I long to be with you. So if you want to talk more about fasting and thinking about how to do that, we can chat about it. But I want to recommend, not recommend, I want to say it's something Jesus says we should do. A way to help us count down the days. So don't be a last year curmudgeon. Jesus is real. Salvation has come. It's now. Do you need to hear that? But also the new year is not yet. Let's be a church who hunger after Jesus, fasting, praying, helping each other through these hard times, counting down the days till we see Jesus again. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for what you've done in coming to this earth. That that prophecy from Isaiah was fulfilled in our hearing. You came, you lived, you died, you rose and you ascended. It is all started, it's all begun. And thank you that we can enjoy that right now. Complete forgiveness for all the wrong we've done and will do. Complete acceptance by God. Liberty from our sin, our fear of death. A true relationship with you and being part of your people to church. Thank you that we have that right now. And for those of us who are wondering, what benefit is it to be a Christian? I pray that you'd remind us tonight of all that you've done for us. But Lord, may we be a church who count down the days. Who get alongside each other when we're struggling to help each other count down the days. And Lord, even Lord, we ask that you'd help us use fasting as a way to express God. We want you more than we want food. We need you more than we need food. Jesus, we can't wait to be back with you, the bridegroom again, to feast with you forever. We look forward to that day together. Amen.